0: God's Word. If you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the red Bible, you'll find it on page 815. 815 in the red pew Bible. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 35 is what we'll begin at. And I'll leave you in the capable hands of Fiona Tree to read that. Uh,
1: this, this section is entitled The Resurrection Body. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same, Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your victory where O death is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god he gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ therefore my dear brothers stand firm let nothing move you always give yourselves fully to the work of the lord ...because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.
0: Well, let's uh, pray as we come to consider God's word ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this clear message from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, We pray that as we uh, give our minds to it uh, today... ...that you would be uh, refreshing our understanding and that you would be granting us uh, new insights into our future as believers. We pray also for the Sunday School as they are gathered right now, and we pray that as they are nourished on your word, that you would be uh, doing a deep work in their minds and their hearts. We pray that as a church, that uh, we would be people who love you because we have been transformed uh, by your word and your spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. David Sinclair was a 19-year-old university student at the University of New South Wales. When he was uh, sitting in the uh, one of the cafeterias there, a smoke-filled cafeteria, drinking coffee and playing cards with his mates, when he turned to his mates and he said, Uh, don't you guys know that we're wasting our lives? And uh, he went on to say, the reality is that uh, in the future that people are going to have better bodies and are going to live longer uh, than they do now. But he said that unless someone does something about that, our generation is going to miss out. And so David Sinclair made a decision that he would be that someone. And uh, now, um, 22 years later, Harvard Medical School Associate Professor David Sinclair, uh, it it has been announced, has produced a tablet. His tablet has been trialled successfully on on laboratory animals, uh, and it has shown that it has increased their lifespan. Uh, It is currently being tested on human guinea pigs and we'll see what the result of that is, but apparently some people are quite confident uh, in the result because the pharmaceutical company that he co-founded has just been sold to GlaxoSmithKline for $720 US dollars. There is money in longevity, friends. Uh, And uh, they're they're betting uh, on the the possibility that his pill will extend a person's lifespan from five years to ten years. Although I've got to be perfectly honest with you, my local GP told me if I eat a handful of walnuts every day, that'll do the trick. He also reckons a glass of red wine doesn't hurt either. Now, of course, the way that we think about our bodies changes uh, according to what stage of life we're at. Uh, when you're young, you kind of look forward to all of the great things that you're going to do with your body. Uh, when you're kind of middle-aged, uh, you think about all the things you can no longer do with your body. And what's it like after middle age? Well, they tell me that you're kind of just grateful for anything left that your body can do. <laughs> That's what it's like. And the reality is that uh, even if this tablet does work, that it's, it's not going to stop the inevitable, is it? And the inevitable is that we will all die. Uh, but last Sunday, as we uh, looked at 1 Corinthians 15, we saw that God already has a plan for our bodies. That is, our bodies after death. If we belong to Christ... When Jesus returns, we will be raised. We will have resurrection bodies. I wonder, Have you ever wondered what your body will look like in heaven? you ever asked yourself that question? Uh, you know, for example, you know, what age will I be in heaven? Um, will I have an improved body in heaven? I know what you're thinking, Val McLaren. You're thinking, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. <laughs> Well, the Apostle Paul knew that some of the Christians in the Corinthian church, that they also had questions about uh, the resurrection and resurrection body. And uh, we see that in uh, verse 35. If you care to open up your Bibles at 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, in uh, verse 35, Paul says, But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And you see what he says next? He says, How foolish. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at that and I think, Whoops, <laughs> better not ask any questions about what the resurrection body is going to be like. Wouldn't want Paul to think that I was foolish. Uh, but why does he say that? What, what does it mean? Tell me, in the Bible, who is the foolish person? Right? The fool says in his heart that there is no, no God. Uh, The fool is the person who doesn't believe in God. Um, The fool may believe in God, but doesn't trust in God. Uh, The fool may believe in God and may say that he or she trusts in God, but may actually have no real desire to obey God. In the biblical thinking, that person is a a fool. And so the fool in the Bible is the person who does not take God seriously seriously. They don't uh, put God into the equation. And I think that that's what's, what, what's going on in Corinth. And that's the ki- kind of thing that Paul is dealing with. Uh, because there are some people who ask questions about the resurrection body, but they're really not all that interested. Uh, they re- they're really asking questions which are you know, questions with a, an implied criticism. Uh, they're actually mocking the idea of resurrection. We saw that uh, in the ministry of Jesus, didn't we? Remember the Sadducees? The Sadducees were a religious group who, uh, their distinctive was that they did not believe in resurrection. And uh, there was that occasion where a group of Sadducees came to Jesus. They told him a story, didn't they? So Jesus, let's tell you a story. There was this lady and she got married to this bloke and the bloke died. And so she married another bloke. And then he died and she married another bloke and he died and she kept on marrying more and more blokes and every time she married a guy that, you know, he died and you kind of think to yourself, what was she feeding her husbands? (laughs) And then they get to their punchline and they say to Jesus, well, so Jesus, in the resurrection, which man will she be married to? They're not even interested, they're trying to mock Jesus. Jesus they're trying to mock the idea of resurrection because they know that Jesus is not going to promote polygamy right Now I think that that's the sort of thing that's going on here. Uh, the, the, the questions that have been raised in corinth are really questions mocking questions from those who deny the resurrection but Paul still answers the question and in verses 35 through to 41, he challenges them to think, start thinking about the world uh, through spiritual eyes. Don't just think of the world through natural eyes, but through spiritual eyes. And so he says, well, take a look at the world that God has created. Verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Uh, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to which kind of seed he gives its own body. Right? Now, the Corinthians, of course, lived in an agricultural world, and so Paul says, well, okay, guys, uh, think about plants, uh, a head of wheat. You know, A head of wheat has to die and fall and be buried in the ground before the seed uh, springs to life. Now a seed is of course just a tiny speck uh, and farmers plant seeds. Why do they plant seeds? Well because they expect the seed is going to change into a plant. The farmer expects that one body will be transformed into another body. Now, you might think, well, okay, that's nothing particularly profound. Um, it's stating the obvious. Uh, I, but I want to challenge that and say, well, no, it is actually profound because the question is, why does this happen? And the reason it happens is because God makes it happen. Now, uh, if we had a biologist here... Is Tim, does Tim teach biology? Tim. If we asked Tim... No, you don't have to come up, my friend. If we asked Tim to come up... uh, And the reason we don't want you to come up is this, because if I asked you to to talk to us about the process that goes on between a a, a seed becoming a plant, my guess is that if we let you loose on that, you could talk to us for days. Come on up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Tim would be able to explain to us uh, firstly, everything that the scientists don't know about it, but how incredibly sophisticated, how incredibly complex that process actually is. Uh, you see, it, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It happens because God causes it to happen. And Paul's point here is that this seed dies uh, in the sense, technically I think a seed doesn't actually die, but it dies in the sense that it is buried in the ground and from that it arises as a transformed body. Now, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying if God can do that for a seed, then guess what? He can do it for you. He can do it for your body. That's his point. Now, secondly, take a look at verses 39 through to 41. In verse 39, all flesh is not the same Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. Any zoologists here in the congregation? No? Good. Okay, there are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Now, uh, the point is that God is in the the business of creating bodies. And he creates all sorts of bodies in the animal kingdom, uh, in, uh, in in the cosmos, the planets, the stars, the moons, and so on. And it seems that the point that Paul's making here is that God creates bodies which are appropriate for their context, which are appropriate for their function, which fit in with his plan and purpose for the universe and the world. And the implication is that in the resurrection, that God will give us a body which is appropriate for eternal life. That's his business, creating and recreating Now, what then will that body look like? Uh, I guess that's a question that we've got on our minds. The the Bible is not going to answer all of our questions on that, and when the Bible doesn't answer our questions on a subject, that's because we don't actually need to know. But we can uh, determine some things, uh, because God has already raised someone from the dead, hasn't he? Jesus. Jesus. When you look at the resurrection accounts of Jesus in the back ends of the Gospels and in the front end of Acts, it's interesting just to think about what his resurrection body was like. Uh, One thing we know is that it was very real, very physical, uh, that he was not a ghost. Um, In fact, in Luke 24, verses 37 to 39, when Jesus appeared uh, to his disciples, they were shocked. And you can understand why they would be. Dead men don't rise. Uh, The disciples were shocked and they wondered, are we seeing a ghost? Now, Jesus knew that and then he responded to them and he said, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. A A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus was flesh and bones a real human being in his resurrection body. Now, um, his resurrection body did have the wounds in his hands and his, uh, and, and his feet. and That, I take it, is to demonstrate that he is the lamb, uh, the lion of Judah, but who is the lamb who was slain. It speaks of the sacrifice that he has made. But crucifixion did unspeakable damage to the body of Jesus. It wasn't just the holes that they drove the six-inch nails through. Uh, The act of crucifixion, how it actually kills a person, does enormous damage to the person's heart and to the person's lungs. And Jesus' body would have begun to decay over that period of time that he was in the tomb. And yet what we see in the resurrection accounts is that his resurrected body was perfect. Jesus walked long distances. The road to Emmaus. Uh, Jesus spoke with people. Jesus bodily functions. He ate fish and, and bread. On one occasion on a beach, he cooked breakfast and he invited the disciples to come and join him. For this is real earthy, real flesh and blood resurrection. But then there's that other occasion in John 20, verse 19, when The disciples were in a room where they had the door locked for fear of the Jews. And John makes that point, but Jesus appeared amongst them. Now, what do you make of that? Interesting, isn't it? Um, Does it mean that the risen Jesus was not restricted by locked doors? Uh, doesn't mean that the risen Jesus in his resurrection body was able to pass through walls. Now, this is important for us because in verses 44 to 49, uh, there is this contrast between the first man, Adam, and Jesus, who is referred to as the second Adam. Adam, of course, simply means man. The first Adam... Uh, is the the man who came from dust. And and he is described as having a natural body. Now, I need to explain something here, that the word natural, as it's used uh, in these verses, uh, does not imply that there is anything wrong with the body that God gave Adam or the body that God gave us, Uh, The natural body is the body that has been um, impacted by sin, Uh, the body uh, which gets sick and fails uh, and dies, Uh, the body which we all inherit from Adam. Jesus, on the other hand, is described as being the man from heaven. Uh, Let me read verses 45 45 to 49. In verse 45, So it is written, The first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man now the original Greek there says as was the man of dust so are those who are of the dust and as is the man from heaven so also are those who are of heaven and just as we have been born the likeness of the man of dust so shall we bear the likeness of a man of the man from heaven so so, shall, shall, so as we bear the likeness of the earthly man, the man of dust, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Now, of course, in a uh, very real sense, that's happening even now as we grow in godliness. We're coming more and more like Jesus in our character and in, in who we are as persons. Uh, but I think that this is specifically talking about our resurrection bodies. And it's saying that if you have trusted Jesus' offer and accepted his offer of forgiveness, then although this body that you now have will return to dust, that God will give you a resurrection body, a body which will never fail, a body which never gets sick, a body which will never die. Uh, It will not be like the body of Adam. It will be like the body of the resurrected Jesus, a better body than the one you have now. And friends, in verse 42, Paul spells out our future. And what he does is this. He contrasts what our bodies are now with what they will be in the future. And he spits out these contrasts in rapid fire. Uh, Have a look at it. He says, the body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Uh, It's because of the sin of Adam that our present bodies eventually fail us. Uh, That does not mean that our bodies are in themselves sinful. Um, They are our God-given bodies, but they have been impacted by sin. They are under the curse of sin. I mean, let's face it, our bodies are mortal. They perish. And you'd have to ask the question in verse 51, that if our bodies are mortal, if our bodies perish, then what, what part would they have in eternity? They don't have a part in eternity because they are mortal bodies. Now, uh, we, we, we do all sorts of things to uh, keep our bodies fit, don't we? Or to try to kind of get into shape. Um, we try not to eat too much of that stuff that clogs up our arteries and causes heart problems. Um, we may sweat it out in the gym to uh, burn off a few calories and uh, lower the, those kilos. Uh, there's other ways you can get fit around our church. Um, you could join our Monday night uh, men's indoor soccer team um, called the, the, Raiders, the Rangers. The Rangers, um, sort of uh, Scottish thing there for those of you who are into, into uh, soccer. Um, they've won the three out of their last four matches, I heard. Congratulations, guys. And what was the score in the last match? Who's, who'd like to tell us? Four-nil. 4, nil. Four nil. thanks, Ahmed. Four-nil! How about that? Congratulations. There are some absolute fanatic nutcases amongst them. Um, the, the real fanatics, uh, they train by going for a 40-kilometre bike ride three times a week starting at 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, so if you want to join them for that, uh, Good on you. (laughs) At my age, uh, you know, you're supposed to... uh, The uh, fitness people say that you're supposed to lift weights because, you know, once you hit middle age, your uh, muscles start to deteriorate and so you've got to pump weights all the time just to maintain that muscle bulk, if you have any. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 is interesting because Paul says there, "...for physical training is of some value." How about that? Some value. That's biblical justification for going to the gym. But it's only of some value, says Paul. Uh, He goes on to say, but godliness has value for all things. So if you're not hitting the gym, just say, well, you're just more concerned about godliness, um, according to 1 Timothy 4.8. Some people actually live in pursuit of the perfect body, don't they? Um, that was highlighted in the media this week. I don't know if you saw the story or not, but um, a young woman in China who had been a contestant in uh, China's equivalent to Australian Idol. And uh, she was very, very well known, very popular, not just because of her singing ability, because, uh, but because they say that she was really attractive, a very good-looking young woman. The uh, reason she was in the news is that she died uh, during the week. Uh, She died on the operating table and, uh, you know, the question of course is, well, what was wrong with her, that, you know, she needed surgery? Uh, What was the surgery for? Can anyone guess what the surgery was for? What type of surgery? Plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. One of her fans uh, on the, the newspaper was quoted as grieving and saying, why did she want plastic surgery when she was Already so beautiful. Why? One of the guys in church, Cameron, was saying to me last week that in the gym that he goes to, you know who the people who the people you know who the people are who are least satisfied with, with their looks? It's the fittest people. The fittest people. Now, some of us here in this church have bodies which don't function Uh, very well at all, Um, have less functional ability than average, than normal. And uh, there are folk amongst us here who uh, live with that and know that there is nothing that can be done about it. Um, The doctors can only help us manage the problem or at least try to help us to minimise the pain. And yet It's been my observation over the years that far from being angry with God or in despair, that it is often these brothers and sisters who have the clearest understanding of resurrection and have the greatest, um, most joyful, inspiring hope in the future. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. Well, Paul, in verses 51 to 57, reveals something of that future to us. Have a look at that. In verse 51, Paul says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the loud, piercing sound of a trumpet has long been used by armies um, to announce that they're marching forward or to announce that the victory has been won. Uh, In the Old Testament prophets, like in Isaiah 27 and Zechariah chapter 9, uh, the prophets spoke about uh, the last trumpet And they said that this last trumpet blast would be blown in order to announce the final judgment of God, that final moment in history when God brings all things uh, to an end in terms of sin and the announcement of the consummation of his kingdom. When Jesus returns at the last trumpet, God's power, friends, is so great that we will be resurrected. That if we are dead in Christ or asleep in Christ at that moment, then we will be resurrected from the dead and given new bodies. If we are alive at that time, we will be given new bodies too. And the, uh, you know, it's interesting how Paul talks about the, the instantaneousness of that. He says, in a flash... In the twinkling of an eye. Uh, the word there in a flash, uh, there's a Greek word that is translated as an, in a flash, and it's the word atomo. It means atom, it means the smallest possible thing. And in Paul's thinking, the smallest possible period of time. It'll happen just like that. Now, how do you feel about your body, by the way? That's an embarrassing question, isn't it? Uh, we've got teenagers in our house, Hold. Well, this is not here, is she? Okay, what's the issue? Zits. Our- Zits is the issue <laughs> when you're a teenager. Um, uh, when you're my age, it's uh, like, Hey Dad, just notice you've got an extra grey hair. <laughs> Not so worried about that. You know, the uh, Bible says about grey hair, don't you? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. It's grey hair is, this, is the crown of splendour of the old. Uh, if you've lived long enough to get grey hair, that's because you've lived long enough. Um, does it, I have yet to find the Bible verse that gives any uh, glory to bald heads. Um, <laughs> If you can find it, let me know. But what about the real problems? What about sickness? Um, what about eyes and ears that don't work properly? What about chronic fatigue syndrome? What about heart disease? What about crippling arthritis? What about cancer? Friends, the frailty and the mortality of our bodies stands as a constant symbol that we live in a fallen world under sin's curse but Jesus has paid the debt for our sins Jesus has dealt with the curse and so as Paul reflects on our resurrection bodies here in these verses as Paul reflects on what our bodies will be, our new bodies, our perfect bodies, our resurrection bodies. Paul cannot restrain himself. Uh, You see, the people in Corinth, they were mocking the idea of resurrection. Well, Paul here mocks, not resurrection, Paul here mocks death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You ever been stung by a blue bottle? You know what it's like, don't you? That stinger wraps itself around your arm or your leg and your, your waist and, and the, the pain is unbearable. Well, if the blue bottle had no sting, it would have no power to inflict pain. What is the sting of death? Friends, the sting of death is unforgiven sins. That's the power of the law against us, the power of the law that points the accusing finger and says you're a sinner. The sting of death is unforgiven sins and I tell you this, it's one thing to die, it's another thing to die with your sins not yet forgiven. Well, Jesus has dealt with sin on the cross. And so for those who trust in Christ, death has lost its sting Death cannot hurt us. Death will not hurt us. You know what will happen on that day? On that day when we are raised imperishable? You know what will happen? The victory of Christ and the defeat of death will be made clear. Crystal clear for all to see. Now, that is the Christian hope. The question then arises, well, how do we know that this is all true? How do we know that this is not all just wishful thinking? How do we... Well, we know that it's true because God has already raised somebody from the dead. And that is the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. The whole point of 1 Corinthians 15 is the historical truth that God has done this already when he raised Jesus from the dead. That is the proof. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ has not been raised, says Paul, then we are still in our sins, then our faith is futile, uh, we hope in vain and we are to be pitied more than all people. That's what he says. The resurrection of Jesus is the, is the pivotal point in the Christian faith. And yet Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Uh, it's, it may seem unbelievable but it's true that there are people today, there are, there are church leaders, there are pastors of churches who do not believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Uh, you, you, you watch Easter's only a four or five months away, whenever that happens this year in April. And, you know, it always happens that there'll be uh, some church leader who'll publish a new book, you know, saying that he's come to a profound knowledge of the truth and that the resurrection never happened. And they'll all show that on the, in the papers and all that sort of business. And what they say is this, they say, well, look, Jesus, you know, we do believe the resurrection. We, we believe that Jesus was risen from the dead because his memory lives on in our hearts. And, that, and he is an inspiring example to us. Now, what power has that kind of resurrection got? Zippo. That is a lie, That is deceit. That is of the evil one. That is the deceit of those who would rob us of our uh, resurrection hope and who would rob us of our capacity to deal with pain and suffering and the decay of our bodies in the here and now. I spoke with a dear Christian lady uh, just a few days ago, a member of our church. And uh, she had just... I got the uh, the news from the doctor which was not the news she wanted to hear uh, that her cancer is terminal. Uh, it's one of the uh, I think the privileges in Christian ministry uh, is to talk to people at that point in time. And she said to me, she said, Scott, you know what? I- I'm not I'm not exactly praying that I'll die." <laughs> she said, but I'm not afraid either. She said, I've got no fear of death. She said, I, I know. I know where I'm going. I know. I know what my future holds. And she said to me that the palliative care nurse has been visiting her, has been saying, hey, you're pretty different to some of the other patients that I get to work with. She knows the future for herself and for all of those who trust in Jesus and it is a future which does not involve cancer or hearing aids or these things spectacles and throw these away or wheelchairs. Uh, Those of you in the congregation who are doctors, dentists, physiotherapists, optometrists, (laughs) nurses, Your skills are not required in heaven. We want you there, but you'll be leaving those skills behind. No market for them. And so it's because of this that Paul concludes in verse 58, and he says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Do not let anything move you. Do not let any person move you, shift you from your what I've taught you in the resurrection of Jesus. Let nobody rob you of your sure and certain hope and your capacity to deal with suffering in this life. Because Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And so therefore, far from being pitied more than all men, far from having a faith that is futile, far from living our lives in vain, we actually have the truth and the message which all people need to hear. And so, therefore, we give ourselves fully over to God's work, sticking it out as Christians right through to the end, irrespective of what the, this life throws at us, and handing out to others the words of life, of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, uh, the historical truth that uh, you raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you, Father God, that uh, though we live in these mortal bodies, that one day that you would grant us immortal bodies that are imperishable and that uh, we, Lord God, will be with you and your son, Jesus, Uh, seated around your heavenly throne at your banquet table enjoying our heavenly future. Father God, we do pray for our world for there is much sickness, much death, much despair in our world. and There are people who do not know you, who are living and dying without you. We pray that we would have such a passion for, for and love for them and desire to see them with us in heaven, that we would hold out to them the truth that brings life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.